please give Anthony a very warm welcome. chapter 17, verse 28. It says, Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. And yet, here I am talking to you guys again. So uh, <laughs> just uh, bear with me for the next hour or so. No, won't be that long. <laughs> but um, during Sukkot, we talked about the first eight chapters of Mark. Uh, we all went through, took a turn teaching, and um, it was great. But before Mr. Gabe gets into his study on uh, the book of Acts, we're going to continue with Mark. And so today I was given the task of uh, teaching about Mark chapters 9 and 10. Um, so in these two chapters, there's kind of this, uh, this theme. It's this battle between uh, the physical and the spiritual. But as you read, we'll notice that these two things shouldn't be like fighting against each other but instead should be used together. And that one without the other is kind of useless. doesn't have much purpose. So I'll show you what I mean. Um, if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to use this one over here. We'll start reading at verse 2. And six days later, Yeshua took with him Peter, James, and John, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Yeshua. Peter responded and said to Yeshua, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Yeshua alone. So in this story, there are a few uh, parallels between physical and spiritual. First of all, there's, um, there's these three earthly men, Peter, James, and John, that were with them on the mountain. And uh, on the flip side, there's a radiant Yeshua, accompanied by Moses and Elijah. Um, and then, secondly, once Yeshua is transfigured, his clothes become whiter than anything we have on earth, and uh, he has this uncontainable presence. Well, um, Peter, in his panic, he kind of tries to contain this presence with uh, these physical shelters that he wants to make for them. You know, he didn't mean any harm by that, but being human and having a physical mind, that's the most logical thing for him to do at that time. Um, so yeah, we have this little scuffle between the physical and the spiritual going on there. So as we carry on in verse 14, go ahead and read this. This is after they came down from the mountain. And when they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you disputing with them? And one person from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. 
and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples so that they would cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, believing generation, how long shall I be with you? Unbelieving generation. How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Yeshua said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Yeshua saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into the terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead! But Yeshua took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began asking him privately, Why is it that we could not cast it out? And Yeshua said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything except prayer. And some texts add fasting, praying and fasting. So, uh, why is it the disciples weren't able to cast out the demon? Is it because um, they didn't pray hard enough or something? Well, actually, uh, in Matthew chapter 17, this same story is told um, from Matthew's uh, point of view. And it's a little bit different. Uh, in that version, when the disciples asked why they couldn't cast out the demon, Yeshua says, and I quote, Because of your meager faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So here it seems like uh, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon because they didn't have faith. So which one is it? Is it fasting and praying, or which is the physical, or is it their faith, which is the spiritual? Well, it's actually both. Uh, if you look two chapters ahead in Mark 11, uh, verse 24, Yeshua addresses this by saying, Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. So you need both of those two things, both praying and fasting and the faith. So there's another instance of the physical and the spiritual. So um, if we continue in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So he's saying that if anyone wants to be first in the spiritual sense, he must make himself to be last in the physical sense. Uh, this is another kind of form of spiritual versus physical called faith versus works. That's a common concept that we hear. Um, it's, it's essential to have faith, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we're saved by faith in Yeshua alone, and nothing can change that. However, once we're saved, it's time to get to work. It's like lighting a fire. It only takes a small little spark 
uh, to start, but once it does, you have to constantly add wood to it to keep it going or it might die out. Uh, you can't just you know, add wood before you light the fire, otherwise nothing's gonna happen. It's gonna be a pile of wood. But uh, only that initial spark can start it up. So after we're saved, if you don't work to help out your neighbor in any way, then James says in James chapter two, that your faith is dead, just as that fire without fuel is dead. So I'm gonna jump back and forth between chapters nine and 10 a little bit here. Um, but I think that these two chapters work really well together to explain this concept. So in chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 17, there's a story of the rich young ruler. So uh, I'll go ahead and read that here. Mark 10, 17. It says, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? But Yeshua said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Yeshua showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. So the young man in the story had faith, and he kept all those commandments that Yeshua told him to. But when it came to selling his possessions, however, he was not willing to do the real hard stuff, the works, so to say. So Yeshua wasn't saying that if you have a lot of stuff and you're rich, that you have to give it away and sell it. Um, you know, he wasn't saying that. He was specifically targeting that man's sin. Um, so quoting what he said in chapter 9, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life without a hand than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire. So Yeshua is telling the man, to cut off his hand, which is his physical possessions, in order to enter eternal life, the spiritual kingdom of God. So immediately after Yeshua tells him these things, he says to the disciples, to his disciples in, um, in Mark chapter 10, verse 23, uh, and Yeshua, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Yeshua responded again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Yeshua said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So, as you can imagine, um, it would be kind of difficult to get a camel through an eye of a needle. You know, you could probably push really, really hard but by the time it gets through, it wouldn't be a camel anymore. You know, it might look like a really long noodle or something. But. What Yeshua was more likely talking about here was a different word entirely. Maybe a mistranslation from Greek to English. This is just a possibility. But in the ancient Greek language, the word for camel, and I hope I'm not butchering this, but it was camelos or camelos. Um, and another word that was very similar was camelos which is translated as a hawser, or it's a, um, one of those big ropes that you use on a ship um, 
to tie it to a dock. It's about like that big around. It's a really, really big rope. So first of all, it makes a little bit more sense than a camel because a rope is kind of like a big thread. Um, so it's kind of like a little bit better parallel there. Um, but it would still be impossible to fit, you know, something that's nine inches uh, in diameter through the eye of a needle. Um, unless, of course, you first pull apart all the strands of the rope and strip the rope of any unnecessary junk and are able to pull out the single strand that you need and push it through the needle. So I believe that's what Yeshua was talking about when he was describing the rich man to his disciples. You know, for all of his earthly possessions to be stripped away so that he would be uh, left with the sole strand of the rope that could enter the kingdom of God. So uh, that's kind of the, the take on that. That's just a second opinion, but it could be. But this tearing down process of uh, tearing apart the rope until you get that one little strand, that's called refinement. And refinement is where both your faith and your works are tested, your spiritual and your physical self. So if you're not good with one of those things, then you're not really going to pass the refinement process. But um, to wrap everything up in my teaching, I'd like to give another uh, metalworking analogy, if that's okay. Um, so during Sukkot, I explained the difference between a pure heart and a hardened heart um, with hard metals and soft metals. And um, I said I'd give a part two to that, which was explaining how to get a pure heart. So um, the Bible talks about refinement all the time. Uh, one of them is in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 3, I think. And uh, most people know that um, what refinement is but maybe not how it works exactly. So I'm gonna explain it a little bit more in depth so that, uh, because well, I think it's really cool. Um, but basically, if you want to melt metal, you put it in this thing called a crucible, which is like a stone pot or something that has a higher melting point than the actual metal. So the crucible is then heated, uh, it's heated blazing hot until the metal inside of it melts. And when it melts, all this junk floats to the surface. This like half inch thick layer of junk. And uh, that junk is called slag. And it comes from impurities in the metal because the metal is usually heavier than all those impurities. So the metal stays at the bottom and it separates forming that layer of lighter junk on top. So uh, the blacksmith then takes a, a rod of some kind and he dips it in the metal and scrapes off all that layer of slag and he throws it away. And uh, once all of that is gone, he can then pour it back into a mold and turn the liquid metal back into a solid bar, only this time without any of the impurities. So this is the same way our hearts work. You know, the fire once again represents physical and spiritual hard times, it's testing. And the slag bubbling to the surface is all of the sin and junk we have inside of us. So it's our job when we see that layer of slag, that sin, to scrape it off and throw it away. But that's the hard part. Like, just as the rich young ruler didn't want to give up his possessions, we too sometimes don't want to give up our sin or we feel embarrassed that we have any. So instead we leave the slag in with the metal and just mix it in a little bit. Uh, and then when we get poured back into a bar, we say, oh, I'm a, I'm a pure metal now and hope no one will notice. But uh, God knows your heart, basically. So he can see what all is mixed in with the metal. You can see the, all the impurities still inside of you, even though 
you try to act like you don't have any. So, uh, you know, Yeshua went through the refinement process too, but the only difference between his and ours is that when the, Pharise when the Pharisees melted him down, the only thing that bubbled up to the surface was pure gold, and there wasn't a single speck of slag. And that's, that's something that's really interesting, that's important in our Messiah, that he was perfect. So uh, should we pray for refinement? That's kind of a um, scary thing to do, but I say yes, you should definitely pray for refinement. Um, God will not give you anything that you cannot handle. Just like how different uh, metals have different melting points, God won't give you, you know, a bar of copper and send it at 8,000 degrees and just completely incinerate it. He'll just give you just enough to where you can melt. And then some metals, you know, he might give them a little bit more because they can handle a little bit more. But, um, you know, you still have to be careful because as King David uh, prayed for God to test him, God did test him and he failed that test pretty bad. So you always have to be on your guard and don't be proud about any of, you know, coming out with a pure heart or anything like that. Always stay humble. So we need to pray that we can be more like Yeshua and that we can endure everything and that we would have a perfect blend of faith and works. So uh, to close, I'd like to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have today to rest and study your word. We ask that you would make us to be like your son, Yeshua, that we would remain faithful all of our days, and that whatever you asked us to do, we would do it with eagerness and joy. And thank you for giving your son, Yeshua, to us, that we would have a perfect role model of how to live our lives. We ask for wisdom and discernment in doing so, and that our love for you and for our neighbor would only increase. We pray all these things in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my teaching.